Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to GradCast, the official podcast and radio show of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm Monica Molinaro. And I'm your co-host, Aria Frame. And today we are joined by our guest, Rochelle Furtado. So, Rochelle, to start, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Rochelle Furtado. I am going into my second year of the combined MPT-PhD program here at Western, and I'm really excited to talk to you guys today. Okay, so to start, do you want to tell us a little bit about your research, how you got to where you are in the combined program? Yeah, so I'm working with uh, Dr. Joy McDermott, and we are looking at an orthopedic program here at St. Joe's Hospital. So we're trying to do a telehealth program and where we're creating these video modules to help patients before they go into surgery to teach them about their different physical therapy exercises and things about the surgery with itself. And we're hoping that these, um, these videos can help them so that they don't have to see or have as many appointments with their surgeon before they go into surgery. And so this is the project that I'd be doing for my PhD portion of the combined program. But like you said, it is a combined program. So it is a five-year program. So I'm, it's two years PhD, two years uh, physio, and then one year where you wrap up the combined and the physio portion. So right now I'm in my sec going into my second year and I just defended for my comps. So that's new and exciting. Um, yeah. So what, what is, what is a physio uh, stand for in the physio portion? What, what is physio? So I'll be starting at the MPT school here at Western. Um, so it is different than the PhD part because this is all clinical, it's all hands-on, and it is a two-year course-based program. So where you would get your licensing at the end to certify that you can practice physiotherapy here in Canada. Now you mentioned something about uh, ortho orthopedics. Is this uh, everything you're doing here very specific for that or are you, is it generalizable? No, so orthopedics, so I focus on um, bone and joint specifically, that's the study of orthopedics, and we're looking at shoulder replacement surgeries. So we're creating these videos to help patients who are receiving a shoulder replacement surgery to teach them those specific exercises for um, their surgery, and then to understand all the risk factors that may be associated with it, life after the surgery. So all these like health videos essentially so that they can understand all this and watch it at their own pace, at their own time, at the comfort of their home before they go into surgery. And this can help to start that conversation with their surgeon in case they did see something in the video that maybe they didn't understand or they want more clarification on. And that's kind of the goal with that um, kind of the program there. Is there a reason specifically that you picked shoulder surgery to pilot this on? Like why not some other demographic of injury? Mm -hmm. So with, um, so first of all, my research is at Hulk, which is the hand and upper limb center here at St. Joe's Hospital. So we specialize in all upper limb surgeries. So wrist, elbow, shoulder, we see a bunch of different types of surgeries. I particularly specialize in shoulders and I always have been ever since undergrad. So that's kind of just a preference to myself as well with the orthopedic surgeries and looking at shoulder it's a great way to pilot this program because of the type of surgery that it is and all the physio that's involved with it after all the lifestyle modifications that's involved with it so this will be a great test to see if we can kind of hone in on this population and then start to generalize it for other upper limb surgeries so I'm kind of like the guinea pig 
with this surgery and we'll see if I can kind of get everything in order for shoulders and then start to move along with other um, parts of the upper limb. But right now for the sake of the PhD, we're just going to stick with shoulders, try that and then kind of move on. When you say this specific demographic, is there a certain demographic of people that gets shoulder surgery? Mm -hmm. So usually we see that it tends to be older adults who usually get it because usually surgery is one of those kind of very invasive types of treatments. And it's one of the last kind of resort treatments. Usually if you'd come in with an injury, you would try to see if physiotherapy or something like that could help with it first before we go into surgery. So usually if you are getting a shoulder replacement surgery, it tends to be an older adult that we give this to. So generally you see the population of someone over the age of 65 usually gets this type of surgery. And it's actually more common in females than males too. So it's really interesting type of demographic that we see. Cool. I mean, uh, it seems like this could be very valuable <laughs> considering the day and age we live in where things are online and we need resources like this. Uh, could you maybe give us a, a little teaser if I were in your demographic uh, and uh, needed that shoulder surgery? What kind of uh, information would I be getting in the videos you're making? Mm -hmm. So essentially what would happen is you would have some sort of an injury. You'd come in and see your family doctor who would then refer you to a specialist at the hand and upper limb center. And then you would have your initial consultation with your surgeon where they would tell you about what your risk factors are. Do you need surgery? Do you not? Maybe they first will recommend you to physio and kind of see if that can help you. But if not, then, okay, let's have a surgery. So assess your risk factors, your medical history, um, what happens if you have a surgery, your life after, and then you essentially go in for the surgery and then you would see physiotherapy to help with the rest of your rehab. So my videos would kind of come in between that consultation phase where you see your surgeon and then understand what your risk factors and things like that are. So usually you would have a few appointments before that, but we're hoping that with these videos that we can shorten the amount of in-person clinic visits. So having maybe just one or two and then having this long list of videos that you can just watch at your own pace and then maybe just calling in your physician and talking to them there versus ha having to come back to Hulk and having like another in-face person visit with your surgeon. So that's so, the information is more like the risk factors, um, what types of physio exercises you can do before your surgery, what types of exercises you can do after your surgery, things that you would want to know during the appointment it, or the, during the surgery itself. So like the procedures, the anatomy, things like that, and then the whole life after. So what are the resources that are available to me after the surgery? What do my caregivers need to know while I'm having this surgery? So that those are the types of topics that we hope to cover with these videos. So what's the benefit of watching these videos at home instead of seeing your surgeon in person? Mm -hmm. So I think one of the greatest things with these videos is as videos are, you can stop, play, rewind, fast forward, um, which is great because obviously when you go to a consultation appointment, you're probably so overwhelmed with the fact that you need to have surgery itself. And there may be things that you forget to talk about with your surgeon or points or questions that you forget to bring up, or you they tell you a bunch of information and you just forget it the minute you come out. And especially if you wanna have like a caregiver or a spouse or someone to help you along with the surgery, these could be great videos that not only you watch, but maybe the person who's helping you to take care of you after also watches. 
So it's definitely a great resource that you can have and continuously keep watching before the surgery versus just seeing them, your surgeon in person this one time and you know you have a couple of questions and maybe you don't even get a chance to talk about everything that's important to you for your recovery. So I think it's starting that conversation and this is one way that we can do that between patient and surgeon. You know, uh, one thing I found uh, yeah, in the COVID times, <laughs> um, it, when I'm at home and I'm trying to work and I'm self-guided and I'm self mm-hmm. trying to self-motivate, it's kind of difficult <laughs> to manage my time. And, and I think that, you know, this is part of the reason why I get also so hard to get people to do their homework uh, when they're students as an adult or as a kid, it doesn't matter. People will just struggle to uh, do, the, do their work at home at their own pace. So uh, is there something you're adding in this video that makes it like more engaging or how are you going to motivate people to really want to watch these videos? Mm -hmm. So we definitely are trying to have more like teach back principles within these videos. So, you know, you watch like maybe two, three minutes of the video and then like a little quiz kind of pops up or some like type of information, um, like sort of a quiz or a goal setting or, or some sort of like test kind of comes up and that just helps to assess the type of information you're learning, making sure that you are learning it and um, understanding if there's things that maybe you're not also understanding in the video. And what's great about it is that we're trying to make them small individual modules. So it's not a lot of information that you're learning at one go. We might, we're trying to have maybe like five or six, like five, six minute videos. So that way that they're short and easy to digest as well. Because obviously with an older patient population, um, you want to make sure that they are able to understand everything that you are saying to them. So I think that hopefully will help with making these videos a bit more fun and interactive. And we're trying to go for more of an animation theme. So hopefully that also is more of a creative aspect and that gets people more engaged with it. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. I mean, I hope they're not too boring, but well, we have feedback groups for that, right? So that, uh, we'll that's actually out. That's actually really interesting to me that you mentioned the animation. I watch, well, maybe maybe people watch more animation than I do, but a lot of the science communication kind of videos that I watch just for fun on YouTube have animation features in them that are really, uh, really cool. And I always look at that and go, they need, they must need a whole team to put that animation together. It's so impressive. How do they do that? I'm wondering, uh, how are you going about it? Are you, are you learning animation skills as part of your program or how are you doing that? I wish I was. I really do. I tried to, and I, I'm definitely not an animator by any means. Uh, so thank God I'm not doing all the animations myself. Um, no, so we definitely have some help this summer into the lab. So we've hired some software engineers who we, we will be consulting with them. And they're the ones who are kind of taking care of all the animation side of things. And we'll kind of sit with them and tell them what we hope to see in these videos and kind of write up the scripts and the scenes and things like that. And they'll be the ones who are kind of creating these animations together. And then the content of course will be collectively from ideas from the surgeons, from physiotherapists and as well as patients. So right now we're actually doing a survey that's currently online for any patient that is on the wait list at Hulk for shoulder surgery. And we're getting their opinions of questions or concerns that they would want to know about their surgery. So taking in that feedback as well as asking some of the surgeons and physios that deal with this patient population and the surgery itself, what are things that they want their patients to know? 
So collectively with all that information that will feel the content of what's going to go into our program. And then yes, the animations and all that fun stuff will be from the uh, computer engineers who will definitely be helping us with that. So then is your dissertation work solely focused on creating these videos and having these videos made or are you planning on testing these in some way? Yeah, so it's definitely going to be, we're hoping, fingers crossed, full RCT pilot. Um, so R we're- R RCT, RCT, that being a randomized- Control um, trial, yeah. Control so what, trial, we're, right, yeah. what we're hoping to do is make it a full, a full scale trial where we'll have two groups. So the first phase obviously is creating all these videos and understanding what needs to go into them. And then I'm hoping that all these will be done before the end of this year. And then moving forward with next year, we start to randomize patients into either you receive these videos before you go into surgery or you don't receive these videos before going into surgery. And then we'll follow up with those two different groups and kind of see what are the difference between their recovery after. So we'll measure different functional recovery rates, their patient satisfaction, patient knowledge. So a bunch of different outcomes that we hope to, that my videos will help to increase. And then we'll test those two different groups and we'll see if in fact that this patient education does help patients after their surgery. So that is kind of the goal with this. And that would kind of leave me or cover the entire five years of my project. Because obviously when you follow people, it's over a span of let's say six months to a year that we'd be following these patients to really capture their experiences and their recovery. Because obviously with this, uh, this surgery itself, it is a slow recovery that tends to happen. So we'll definitely follow them over a long span of time and this yeah will cover the five years and that would be the entire project itself so so once you uh once you have your um videos ready to go mm -hmm. um are they then you know they stand alone uh people can just like use this anywhere uh, around the world if they just want you just provide them with the videos and when to when to use them and then they can go ahead and use them um or is there um, some way that they need to be adapted for uses in different different uh, institutions or different places? Mm -hmm. So I think right now what the goal is to make sure that it's usable for the patients at Hand and Upper Limb Center. So we're hoping that this obviously is a project that is endorsed by the surgeons and that they're willing to share these videos with their patients. And we want to test it with this area and kind of see how with this center itself, how these videos work before we make them for use to let's say Southern Ontario and then making them more accessible towards other places in Ontario or other institutions. So right now we're just trying to focus with Hulk and kind of test it out there and kind of see what the feedback we're getting from there is before we try to make this a more accessible or generalizable kind of population. Because of course there is, the issues obviously with working with hospitals is that you obviously can't just introduce anything into any hospital. There's obviously like a set of admin and checklists that you have to go through. And even with our own hospital here at St. Joe's, there's obviously a lot of hoops that we need to jump to make this sort of a new standard of care here. So we're hoping that we can kind of figure out all the kinks here first before we start to administer to even let's say UH hospitals, like even university hospital down the road. So we're just trying to see first looking at it here and then hopefully full scale that would be more of a postdoc kind of work, I think. I don't know if that would happen during my uh, PhD, but we'll see. Okay, so you mentioned way at the beginning that you're in the PhD-PT combined program. Mm -hmm. Is the PT component necessary to do this kind of work, or is this something that you could do with 
a PhD standalone? I think for me personally, I definitely need that physio experience. Like I said, a lot of these videos will have content that deals with physiotherapy exercises and understanding this patient population. And I think having that clinical experience for myself will also help guide the content and understand why I'm putting certain pieces into this video, or maybe why we're not going to put in certain pieces into this video or understanding this population. And I think as much knowledge that I can get, whether it be academically or the methods or the clinical perspective, will just make these overall videos and this project itself a more stronger project going into it. Obviously, I am spearheading it. So I want to make sure that I have enough information, enough like tools in my toolkit to kind of take this to, yeah, maybe making this the new standard of care here at Hulk and then trying to make this into a bigger, larger scale project. So I definitely need, I think, the physio portion of it as well. Cool. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it really shows your commitment to the topic that you want to, you know, broaden. You're like, you know, even if potentially I could get away with just this, you want to know everything in every possible way. So that's, that's good. I, you know, to be that thorough, uh, more information, the better I say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, do you see yourself, um, practicing much, uh, when, you, when you're done here or, uh, or just sticking with the, um, academic kind of world? No, I definitely think I would like to practice for a bit before kind of just going into academics alone or trying to do the mix between practicing a few times a week, teaching on the side or something like that. And I think it's important to have both skills just because being in physio, it is as clinical as possible. So you definitely need that being in the clinic and understanding a different patient population and having those your own hands-on experiences and just understanding what are the problems that we see clinically? And that definitely will fuel my research even as I continue on after this program. So I think you need both aspects and I definitely will try to do both as long as I can. So practice as well as try to stay in academia and do more research. Was this always part of the plan? Like going into undergrad, you were like, okay, you know what? Like I'm going to do my PT PhD. I'm going to do work with shoulders. This is where I want to go. Like how did this all start? Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting because when I went into undergrad, so I did it at University of Ottawa and I originally had wanted to go to the traditional, I want to go to med school. And I did some, so I did my fourth year undergrad, like the honors project that everyone has to do, the big research project. And it was with a group of orthopedics, so bone and joint researchers. And I really liked the topic and the field and all that. And they had suggested to me to do a master's and they had introduced me to Joy at the time, who's my supervisor now here at Western. So I said, yeah, might as well, like I'll try this, do the master's and maybe try to do med school or something like that. But when I came to Western here and kind of fell in love with the whole physio and everything that she does in this program. And then I started to rearrange my whole options. And so that's how I kind of landed into this, the combined program. And then I kind of shifted my focus and started kind of heading towards a more physio and more research based because I definitely started to fall in love with research more than when I did an undergrad. I think when you have your own patients and you have this little project and you get to work with it and just there was, I felt there was way more that I could do with having this combined program. So still having the patients with the clinical side, but also doing the research. And I think that I'm better suited for this than maybe with just the medical program that I initially set it out for. And I definitely like shoulders a lot. So I think this is a huge 
huge interest of mine. And um, I think this is definitely where I, where I should be. And I'm happy that I'm here and I'm happy that it all worked out, but it definitely wasn't the traditional path by any means. I think there was a lot of like ups and downs along the road. And do I want to be in this program? Do I not? It's an intensive program. They only take like four people a year at the combined program here at Western. So it's really hard to get into. So it's almost as hard than med school. So it's like, what am I really doing here? But I think it worked out at the end of the day. Joy's been really supportive throughout all of this and I've made a lot of really great friends and colleagues and stuff. So I'm really, I'm really happy where I am, but it definitely is not the traditional path. So I think definitely do your research before kind of jumping into it like I did. You know, uh, I find that uh, people, the difference it seems uh, for people who go straight, like the path is just boom, 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 school, 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 and they go directly to their PhD with no gaps in between. And people who've taken a break, sometimes even like gone to do another job and worked in a whole other industry and then have come back to, to go to grad school, is that people who come back or had any break in between, when they start grad school, they feel like they're more um, emboldened in their choice. They're like, I really have thought about this and I'm doing it and, I'm, and, 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 I, and I know I want to do it. Whereas I, a lot of people I see who go, to go right into it, it was like, it all just fell in their lap and then they only realize halfway through grad school they're like what why am i even here they don't even really know they can't answer that question mm -hmm. so um you really sound like you're you're quite sure uh that you know you like what you're doing which is excellent and that you know um, it emanates from you how happy you are to be in this program which is like great to see what kind of advice would you um give <laughs> to uh be it uh undergrads who are like thinking about their future or grad students that like aren't quite sure what's going on as <laughs> while they're in the program i think two of the biggest things is definitely one is to volunteer so volunteering for example if it's a physio program or the combined programs of volunteering with the research lab volunteering with physio clinics and just understanding what are the types of research questions we have what's the patient populations you deal with or the types of methodologies that we use. And I think that was also a, a huge step to why I came into this program. So during my master's, I volunteered with some physio clinics, even at Hulk and around St. Joe's Hospital, just to get a better understanding of what physio is and what my job would be if I decided to do this whole physio program. So I think that was a huge help. And then also just talking, I think talking to upper year students. So I talked to a lot of people who are already in the combined program at different stages of their combined program just to understand what does it take to get in? What are the job opportunities after it? How do you have time to manage both research and the clinical practice? And then extracurriculars on top of that, because I'm like, I'm a pretty involved person with Western and with like HRS itself. So just understanding like how I can combine all these things and still have time for everything and even just time for myself. So I think just talking to people and understanding and meeting a really good supervisor and trying to find someone because it is a five-year program. So you will be with someone for five years. Obviously me and Joy connected and clicked very well from day one. So I think that was great. But um, that's also another huge thing that you would want is someone who's very supportive throughout your career. And I think that's also something as an undergrad to understand who are the supervisors in the program and who's someone that really aligns with your goals and research interests or clinical interests. And that can help you to get to whatever your goal is after this combined program. Alongside this advice, are there any 
like not necessarily talking about the combined program or the clinical aspects of your program, are there any little nuggets of wisdom that you've learned throughout your time in grad school moving forward from your master's and then into your combined program now? I think one of the biggest things is collaboration is one of the biggest things that I find that helps. I find with our lab, we're really good with like collaborating and that helps to get more publications or more opportunities or just advice on things. And I think you want to make sure that you're being more friendly with others and trying to be too competitive with each other. I find that that never helps out. And I find the collaboration is just like a big thing and finding people that are have the same thought process as you or same patient population, whatever it is, same interests and kind of collaborating. And I think that through grad school is obviously a huge help because obviously we get told that we have to publish a lot or we need to apply to all these awards or research things or committees or councils or whatever it is. And I think that the collaboration and having like a solid group of friends or just having that support is definitely a great thing that you need. And I don't think you can do grad school alone. And I think that's one of the the biggest things. I don't think without my support network and like friends that I've met throughout the years that I would be able to kind of do this career choice alone. So I think that's probably one of my biggest things that I've can take away from grad school is knowing that like as much as it is you're on your own track and your own pace I think that there's lots of opportunities to have friends or have supervisors or um, admin or whatever it is to help you through that so I think that's the biggest kind of takeaway for me at least with grad school. So um, you know that sounds like you have managed to uh, balance this work life um thing that people manage to do somehow i don't know i feel like i'm buried in work more so than anything else um what uh you said you're involved in a number of things what is what, can you tell us maybe what you're involved in is it with school outside of your program should i say mm-hmm. so definitely so there's obviously a few physio committees within itself so with the canadian physiotherapy association i sit on a few different committees but within western i I'm currently, so this upcoming year, I'm the new president for the Health and Rehabilitation Graduate Student Society, so HRSGSS. So I'm the new student body president for the program itself. So I've been really busy with doing that and creating a bunch of events and new programs for students that are incoming into the field. So that has taken up a huge chunk as well of my summer, just because as you know, everything is virtual. So we're trying to make sure that we can get a strong online presence and make incoming students feel welcomed and not feel like they're missing anything that they that they can't be in person to see. So that's definitely something that I'm really involved in. And then as well, I'm also a part of the Bone and Joint Institute, which is a collaborative program here at, on campus at Western. And it's for clinicians, med students, uh, engineers, and basic science who all do bone and joint research. And with that, there's like different committees and different um, leadership initiatives that I'm also a part of. And that just is helping with um, promotion of bone and joint research. And they have like a conference every year and I'm involved with that. And they have like a a collaborative program that you can take courses with and get an extra training, like leadership degree on your final degree at the end of it. So kind of all over the place, but um, I find that also, having that break from just research and just school and kind of doing these other committees and stuff is also like really fun. And it's a great way to meet people and just expand your network. Right. So. 
Definitely. So quickly, maybe to wrap up, you know, you mentioned you're involved in all these different groups and things. Is there a way for people to get in contact with you or are there any links that you want to share that people should go check out? Yes. So you can follow me on my Twitter. So it's alfortado13. And then as well, so for the new HRSGSS, we have a bunch of new social media platforms. We have an Instagram and a Twitter page that you can also follow along. And then a lot of my research is also featured on the HULC website. So that's H-U-L-C and their Twitter page, H-U-L-C-C-R-L. Um, and you can find more of my work and hopefully t uh, like sneak peeks of the videos up on there. Perfect. Thanks so much, Rochelle. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I've been your host, Monica Molinero, and today I was joined by my co-host, Ariel Frame. We've been speaking with Rochelle Furtado tonight, and our episode was produced by Gavin Tolometti. If you'd like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us at Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at gradcastradio. To listen to us, we're on the radio at CHRW 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps such as Podbean, uh, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts have been uploaded to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thanks so much for listening.